today. Are you tired of living with stained and worn-out carpeting? Does the den look like bears spent the winter with you? Spring is here, and so is Empire Today's half-off-your-project sale starting now, but only for a limited time. Save 50% on a huge selection of carpet, hardwood, and laminate, standard padding and materials, and basic installation. Call the Empire Today half-off-your-project sale hotline now. 1-855-385-0681. Empire Today's free in-home estimates are easy and smart. Choose from high-quality flooring in the rooms where you'll use them with your lighting so you can see the color best. We'll do the measuring. You do the selecting and saving. But first, you must do the calling. Everyone loves the half-off-your-project sale. Even bears. Call the Empire Today special hotline. 1-855-385-0681. 1-855-385-0681. Empire Today. Select styles. Details at EmpireToday.com. SRN Survival Radio Network. tuning in to Let's Face It with Will Strayhorn and Friends, one of the most informative and entertaining talk radio shows today. From social issues and trending topics to sex and relationships, no subject is ever taboo. So join us now for real people, real topics, real talk. Let's face it. Thanks for tuning in. Um, happy Sunday, everyone. Sep- I mean, what is it? March the 22nd, I'm sorry, uh, for another edition of Let's Face It. We're your hosts. I'm Will Strayhorn. I'm Donna Alicia Brown. <laughs> <laughs> Where are you? Hello. <laughs> ladies first. Ladies first. <laughs> How are you two doing? Great. Cannot doing great. How are you? You can't. How, I heard you got piercings today. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> yes, I she did. They're only picture. facial. <laughs> They're what? facial. They're facial. <laughs> so you must have a high tolerance of pain, do you? No, I do not. The, the funny part of that short story, I have like zero tolerance for pain. But everybody kept saying, it's not that painful. It doesn't hurt that bad. And I'm a big proponent that, you know, life is too short. So if you really want something, just do it. And actually, the nose and the other piercing I got was the Marilyn Monroe piercing, which is like, you know, by your smile area, I guess you could say, for those that don't know. It well, hurts right. less than when you um, it hurts less than when you pierce your ears. It was like no pain, really? no real pressure. So I was in shock. And it's very quick, very quick. Oh, my gosh. I yeah. Remember. I saw the picture. That was like... <laughs> Ouch. That looks like it <laughs> I usually say too, but it, it didn't. And I'm a wuss, so if a wuss says it doesn't hurt, it really doesn't hurt. <laughs> I believe you. I, I don't do needles, and I have like seven tattoos, and I don't even know how I did that. <gasps> okay, see, I didn't need oh. to know that because that might be the next thing on the list, but I might ignore that. <laughs> <laughs> what in the world? So how was your weekend? Anybody doing anything fun? Um, I played dominoes with my twin brother. I, I won, by the way. I got to put that out there. Um, that's pretty oh, much it. Hung out with Thank you. It's his first competition since we're twins and stuff, you know. Oh, Lord. <laughs> did you do anything, you know, Alicia, other than pierce your body? Yes, I did. Yes, I did. You know, I actually had my soul pierced. <laughs> you oh know, I gosh. had a really okay. awesome time. There was a women's luncheon. Um and it was the opportunity opportunity to just get together with so many powerful women, a lot of them that I had served and, and been in communion with at my one of my previous churches. So, you know, I mm-hmm. felt like it was more like a reunion. But when the speaker was up, the word that was going forth, it really ministered to my life in so many different areas. So it was an awesome weekend, and then that word continued to flow this morning at church. So it was awesome. Okay. And then after church, yeah, I went to piercings. Oh, you went and got those today after church. Now, that made yeah. <laughs> Y'all pray for me. Y'all pray for me. Yeah, that made it <laughs> Well, we have a, a good show tonight. Um, 
Rich Habits, Poor Habits. We have a good guest coming on who's going to share. I was looking over some of the questions that we're going to ask him, and I got excited because a lot of those I really want to know personally to implement in my own life. So um, we're going to be talking to him a little bit later on in the show. Um, A couple things were in the news that we're going to bring to the table to discuss. Um, Remember, if you want to call in to weigh in your thoughts or give your five cents on it, you can call 917-932-1078. Make sure that you press 1. That's 917-932-1078, and make sure you press 1. Alicia, why don't you give us our first topic for the evening? You know, sometimes I'm just amazed, but I'm, I'm just going to keep my mouth shut. It was the Dolce & Gabbana statement. Got Elton John and Tissy, and actually he's doing like a boycott against their brand, their clothing, everything. And, you know, they, they made the statement of where, and I, I, I don't remember it in totality, but it was the fact that they did not want, quote, unquote, a test tube baby. So they weren't going to go the artificial route and use that to produce their children. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Man, Which, and that's not really have... all that they said. He did, oh, they oh, don't oh. even agree. And they're, they're a well-known gay couple. They were saying they don't even believe in same-sex parenting. Um, which more than anything, that's what really got me. Um, that's almost saying me being African American that I don't like African American people. I don't not feel yeah. like I, I I have clients who really really aggravated me this week. You know I've been a little ticked off this whole week. I have to say that now that I'm talking, I kind of think I've been easily agitated all week. Um, mm. But I have clients who are female who you know as the elections are coming up. They're like, you know, they're not going to vote for Hillary because she's a woman. I'm like, idiot, you're a woman. Just because she's a woman? Because she's a woman. They don't feel like a woman. A woman does not feel like a woman can lead the country. To me, that just And them being a gay couple, not feeling like a gay couple, has what it takes to to parent. That's what Mm -hmm. really agitated me more so than them saying the synthetic. Because that was just pretty much a poor choice of words. Um, mm-hmm. I understand that a lot of people, you know, we live in a free country and that a lot of people died for our First Amendment right, you know, freedom of speech. But I do believe that when you are a person of influence and you speak publicly, um, people are going to grasp on to everything that you say. So when you're talking about very sensitive subjects um, like that, I mean, so many people who can't have children who have used IVF. Um, exactly. And to, to raise families, you have to be very conscious about what you say. So I understand um, what Elton John is doing in boycotting because this is what people do. Um, mm-hmm. They can't physically grab you and shake you, but they can definitely <laughs> hit you where the, in, the, in your pocketbook. So um, unfortunately, I don't own any of their clothing because I don't like their clothing. I don't like their particular <laughs> brand of design. Um, but I if like I did clothes, have it, I would have tossed it. I had a pair of glasses of theirs before, but they broke on their own, so you know I didn't have to break them. But I mean, that's just how I feel about that particular topic. I think that they should have used a better choice of words, and I really can't see how they would say that them being gay that they don't feel that um, they should be same-sex parenting. Just idiot oh. to me, really. So, what, what do you think, Donnell? I I concur. Um, I think that anybody with any type of clout or pretty much like anybody in the spotlight, celebrity-wise, um, that you kind of you have to be leery and conscientious of anything that comes out of your mouth, especially when it's on a topic that you know sensitive as any same-sex whatever, and especially when it comes to parenting children, that's just completely unacceptable. I like yeah. the cologne. I have light blue. It smells amazing. I haven't worn it, you know, since then, but. I, I agree. If you're in a position of any type of authority like that, like even, I mean, I agree with freedom of speech, but like still, you kind of some stuff you just don't say or keep that. Yeah, type exactly. Of kind of yeah. Exactly. What about you, Alicia? Oh Lord. <laughs> oh Lord. Oh Lord. I agree with. <laughs> yes, I agree with you both. I mean, there's certainly that element because it's not just a gay thing. You know, there are people mm-hmm. like you said. Mm-hmm. There are people mm-hmm. that have trouble, fertility issues. Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes you have a trend where you have single parents, you know, that, that want to produce children. So you're you're using those statements, just that portion of it is very hurtful to those people that need those services. But on the mm-hmm. other hand, I think it's just a, a reflection, and a lot of us are guilty of this every day, 
that you speak for what you feel in the moment, but you don't think about the ricochet effect once you release it. You know, of course, that's magnified when you're in the public eye. But, you know, at one point, if I'm not mistaken, Dolce & Gabbana had talked about having children. So now you flip. Exactly, yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, so you're just speaking to whatever, for whatever reason you've made this decision. Um, You're speaking to that. You're speaking from that source. But at the same time, you're offending a lot of people. So it's just a word to all of us. It's a reminder. Be careful in the words and thoughts you say because they can yeah. have an impact beyond what you're just feeling in the moment. Agreed. Well said. Well said. You know, I have well, a lot and what, to say. What's next? What's next <laughs> on our, on our well, table topic? Well, I did do a little blog. Let's get to this one. <laughs> I saw your blog. I saw your blog. <laughs> but I withheld my opinion. If you didn't know already, Creflo Dollar mm-hmm. made a request and I'm not sure it was just to his – I don't believe it was just to his church, but they took it off the website now, but he was looking for 200,000 people who would mm-hmm. sew in an offering of $300 because yes. the church needs to purchase a new jet that's worth yes. $65 million. $65 million. 65. Yes. Very nice jet. Very and nice what? jet. What could your church possibly use your jet for? Okay, do y'all want me to answer that? <laughs> I want you to. You, you, you go first. and then and I then try we'll to go see. last, but this is this is something that, that gets me because, you know, I have been part of a mega church, um, mm-hmm. and I understand, fortunately, the, the mega church I was a part of, the members were not as spoiled in any way, shape, or form or fashion. But I've seen how the public will, because there's such a great amount of money in members, they try to say that the the bishop, the pastor, what have you, they try to discredit him and, you know, all that money, and he's got to be doing something, you know. But truthfully, there's an element part of church, like any other business. You know, there's a business element, and if it doesn't function in a business fashion, your church will cease to exist. Now, $65 million seems like a lot of money, and it seems kind of preposterous. I don't mm-hmm. think I would want to finance that. But then again, we have to remember, the current plane that the ministry uses, it was built in 1984. They bought mm-hmm. it in 1999. It's traveled more than 4 million miles. And there was a recent trip overseas. One of the engines failed. Um, thank God the pilot landed safely. Nobody was injured. But if you're in a ministry where you're assigned to go to the deepest parts of the world, um, you're providing, you know, food, clothing, you're educating people, you're spreading the gospel, how else is the ministry supposed to get there? You know, um, Agreed. You know, people forget that the church, when it was built in 1995, in the Georgia World Dome, the cost was $18 million, and they didn't have $1 that was financed by a bank. So with over 30,000 members, it's an international church. They don't have problems getting money from them and asking for money. But, you know, I can't argue with you whether $65 million is outrageous or, you know, is there a better jet they could get, They could get. but they do have to have transportation. So that's one way to look at it. I'm sure you two will provide me with the other side. <laughs> you know what? But you guess what? I totally agree with you. Are you surprised? Oh, God. Are you surprised? Are you are you yes. not surprised? <laughs> you should, I'm totally you surprised. I mean, because I totally get it. I've heard, you know, I, I've I've been to. I, I'm actually attracted to mega churches. I like prosperity. I like to see people doing well. I like okay. people who don't um, necessarily preach hell and damnation. To yes. me, I get that enough in the world. So when I go to a church, I want to hear that I can do well, and I want to hear that I can live well. Um, and I agree. Now, he has a church in New York City, and he has a church in Atlanta that I know that I understand that he travels back and forth um, through a couple times a week. So he does need that private travel. I think my only problem, if I don't know the going price of a plane, I know Oprah's was $50 million, um, oh. and she had hers a couple <laughs> years ago. But um, I understand that he has to travel that way for safety reasons and for the convenience of not having to wait for a particular schedule. Um, right. My only thing is if it's over extravagant. That's my only thing. And then I know he's worth $27 million himself. That's his personal right. net worth. So um, I really don't have any problem with it. Um, I do believe that it was probably brought up by the super Christian people who were, who probably feel like he should be on trailways. I mean, what is it? Is it called Greyhound Trail? 
Trailways bus. Oh, That's probably wow. how still he should travel. I have no problem with the man having the plane, uh, you know, going out, spreading his ministry at all. So, you know, oh. he can raise it. I do understand they've taken it down off the website, though, so he can't do it that way. Yeah. But I'm sure that he can find investors who believe in his vision and his call who, you know, who see no problem in that. He probably just should not have posed it if he did, asking for $300 from each person because of these economic types. The average person doesn't have that for a extravagant luxury jet. Especially but when he's worth that much money, he can't pitch himself yeah. on his if it's his jet. Yeah. Exactly. But actually, in this case, they're not saying it's his jet. They're saying it's the church. Yeah. Uh, so shouldn't tithes no, come that, into play within that that would pace with some of these expenses? Well, you know, when your commode is several thousand dollars, <laughs> maybe that's where your tithe money goes. <laughs> but we're not going to talk I about guess. that report. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Wow. But anyway, that's exactly what. Um, what I, I, I'm sure he'll get it. I'm pretty sure he's going to get it. Oh, absolutely. He's just not going to get it from. They said GoFundMe. It wasn't a GoFundMe thing, was it? For real? I, I hope not. So. Me too. But you know, whatever mechanism oh, anyway. it is, they're going to they're going to get their money. And now yeah. it's probably going to be a shorter time because it's a whole discussion and scandal. Exactly. Smart move. Smart move. Whoever did that. <laughs> but um, that's good. So we're going to come back from this break with our guest. Um, we're going to talk about it again. Rich habits, poor habits. I cannot wait yeah. to ask these questions. So you're listening to Let's Face It on the Survival Radio Network. We'll be right back. When you're ready to lose weight, why count, track, and worry over every meal? Jenny Craig makes it simple. Just walk into a neighborhood Jenny Craig center or give us a call. You'll meet your dedicated personal consultant who helps you reach your goals. Together, you'll pick out delicious Jenny Craig foods that you'll love and design a menu that fits your life. And the best part is that you can get started losing weight right away. Don't wait any longer to take advantage of our best offer ever. Call 1-800-JENNY-20 or visit JennyCraig.com. Members following our program on average lose one to two pounds per week. Offer ends on three twenty nine fifteen. Restrictions apply. Do you want to take your business to the next level? Ultimate Business Solutions provides the support you need to increase your customer base and sell more products and services online. Specializing in graphic arts, web development, and internet marketing, Ultimate Business Solutions creates the face of your business. If you're looking for a custom logo, dynamic website, or popping marketing material, call Ultimate Business Solutions today at 404-704-2197 or visit www.ultimatebizsolutions.com. Ultimate Business Solutions. Let us create your future. For tuning in to the hottest station out, the Survival Radio Network. This award-winning network has over 900,000 downloads with 30 powerful shows hitting the airwaves Monday through Sunday. If you're looking for inspiration, motivation, and education, this network is for you. Check us out by visiting www.survivalradionetwork.us. Onward to one million. And remember, we do radio. Welcome back to Let's Face It. Tonight we have the privilege of having Mr. Tom Corley of Rich Habits Institute to be our expert guest to teach us about rich habits and poor habits. Welcome to the studio, Tom. Thank you so much for having me on. I, I really appreciate it. I'm honored to be on your program. Thank you for being on. We're excited to learn. <laughs> Thanks for being here. Yes, exactly, exactly, exactly. Well, Tom, um, I just want to get right into it. Like I said earlier, I had really been looking at your videos, the um, the ones that you were having on CBS, as well as the interviews, and I was really excited about hearing about all these different ways I can implement into my life um, to get me to um, behave so that I can attract more wealth into my life. So with that being said, you claim 
that you can tell right away if someone is rich or poor simply by asking them how many junk food calories they eat each day. What do you mean by that? Well, Will, what I mean is I can ask any person on the street a couple of simple questions and just from their answers, for example, that question, if you eat more than 300 junk food calories a day, well, I know uh, that 93% of the, the poor people or, or the people who weren't self-made millionaires, uh, those individuals ate more than 300 junk food calories a day. Uh, I also know that um, uh, somewhere close to 80%, uh, 77% uh, watched an hour or more of TV a day. So I could ask them, how much TV do you watch every day? I could ask them, uh, how much time do you spend on Facebook, on Twitter? And uh, in my research, 63% of the poor people spent more than an hour a day recreationally on those sites. So I, I could sort of, paint by, by my questions and their answers, I could start to... F uh, paint a picture or form a picture from their answers of, uh, you know, what type of habits they have and whether or not they're on the track for success or, uh, you know, uh, going down the wrong path. Hmm. Wow. <laughs> I know, it's got me thinking already. Wow. Hey, Tom, this is Dono Lattimore. Um, what are some of the habits that Donald. separate the rich from the poor? Well, there's, you know, I tracked over 300 uh, data points, uh, and three, uh, and it uh, took me five years to uh, accumulate that data and analyze it. But there's some of the things like um, that I found that were a little bit shocking to me were 44% um, of the wealthy in my study woke up three hours or more before they even started their workday, and I looked at the 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 answers from the, the poor group of people, and it was 97% uh, of them uh, didn't do that. Uh, so that was one thing. The optimism, 50, I mean, this is thinking. This is the way you think. 54% of the wealthy said they were optimistic, enthusiastic, and 80% uh, of the poor people said they were pessimistic and negative. And one of the, one of the uh, common threads that I found in all the self-made millionaires was that they had this positive mental outlook, uh, no matter what, where they started in life, because most of them started, in, in my research, most of the self-made millionaires were either poor or middle class. So they weren't wealthy. They didn't start out wealthy. Uh, so it, their mental thinking, the way that they think, the way that they approach life, uh, has a lot to do. It's like, it's like turning the, the key to your car on. And, uh, you know, when you're negative, and pessimistic, you're going to struggle in life. Uh, one of the other things I found is 65% of the wealthy, this is important, 65% of the wealthy in my study of the self-made millionaires had three streams of income or more. And, mm. um, yeah, and th this is a big deal. This, this one really goes to the heart of, of why they accumulate so much wealth. They do certain things every single day that grow their core business, but then they take that money, and they do something with it to create other streams of income, not just passive income like dividends and interest and stuff like that. They're investing in other businesses. Uh, they're starting other businesses on the side that they have an ownership interest in. They might be buying real estate. There's a hundred different things that they're doing. The idea is to, to create more than one stream of income. You don't want to put all your eggs in one basket, even though that's what Warren Buffett says to do. None of the wealthy do that, and at least none of the ones in my study uh, they didn't have none of them had one stream of income, but 65% had three streams or more. Uh, another thing that I think is critical, I think it's the most important rich habit actually. It's the, uh, reading 30 minutes or more a day for self-education, and, and I just wrote a great article. I just posted it to my blog, RichHabits.net, on um, on this. The one of the things that's very interesting is that wealthy, so these self-made millionaires, they no matter where they started out in terms of their education, and most of them were either C students or B students in my study, uh, they did not stop when high school ended or they did not stop when college ended. They, in fact, they started gaining momentum in terms of self-improvement. They, 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 their curiosity, their desire to learn just grew uh, over time, and, and they actually increased their IQ over their lifetimes. Nice. Hmm. I have a question. Uh, 
actually two questions based upon what you just said. So you said 44% of the people that you studied um, woke up three to four hours earlier. What did they do in that, in that amount of time before? But, well, that's, that, is the, that is the great million-dollar question. You see, most of them, when they, they weren't waking up because they had you know, trouble sleeping. <laughs> they woke right. up early because they had something to do. And so that's the, the something to do was, uh, in a lot of cases, they were getting up and they were reading. They, they were doing the self-education. They were exercising, uh, you know, th- 30 minutes or more. It seems, seems like uh, aerobic or cardio was the exercise okay. du jour of the wealthy. They, some of them were, were uh, going to school at night. Some of them were teaching, you know, adjunct professors at night. Some of them were writing uh-huh. speaking engagements. Some of them were on boards and they were preparing for their the meetings or, you know, some project that they were working on. They had all of these activities that they were trying to get done in the morning. And a lot, in a lot of cases, Will, they were, these activities were uh, tied to some goal or, or some dream that they were pursuing. Uh, so, you know, it was it was a, a a process that they were following it wasn't just that you know they they were willy-nilly waking up uh, early just for the heck of it they had they right. had uh, a mission they were on a mission exactly okay and then you also said that um reading 30 at least 30 minutes a day um for self-education was good and something that you noticed during the study i'm curious to know cuz a lot of times um, people push formal education. Of the people that you studied that were self-made millionaires, how many of them had high educational backgrounds as far as high-level PhDs yeah. and things like that? Yeah, th- that's that's a great question. They, um, In fact, um, th- I have some great stats on the education. Only 21% were uh, A students, 41% okay. were B students, 7% were below average <laughs> And 29% mm-hmm. were C students. 68% actually had a college degree. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's an important stat because that means 32% didn't. Uh, and, right. and I don't think, uh, honestly, I don't, uh, in America anyway, I don't think college uh, is a prerequisite for success. In fact, uh, I think it, it might in some cases postpone your ability to succeed because you're spending yeah. four years and a lot of money. Uh, and you're hoping that the education will get you a good job. But 51% of the self-made millionaires in my study were small businesses. They started their own business. Right. You, you don't right. need a college degree to start a business in America. Right. Well, Tom, this is Alicia Brown. And I just Hi, had a question. Hi, how are you? Great. I just wanted to know what made you even start studying this? You said it took you five years. Yeah, yeah, it's a great story. I mean, you know, I guess it really what I can tell you what happened that made me do this, but there's there's a behind the scenes I I guess uh psychology or subconscious um uh, uh motivation to to me doing this study. The 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 the, re, the real reason I did this was I uh, an individual who was a small business owner, uh I just taken over the the helm of my CPA firm. And uh, a small business owner who had been in business for his family had been in business for like 50 years. He had taken it over, and he, over the course of like 20 years, he had run it into the ground. And so he was coming to my office. He he needed to meet with me. He was desperate. Uh, the bank had uh, closed his line of credit, and so he was coming to me to see if I could rescue him with some type of hail mary pass. You know, banking relationships I might have that could get him the line. Uh, and I told him I can't do that. You, you, these banking relationships take years to develop, and nobody's just going to throw you a line of credit just because you need it. Uh, so uh, he was. Uh, after I told him that, he broke down, and started crying, and this was a big guy. He, he was running an auto body shop, and he was a very intimidating uh, fellow, you know. And and so all of a sudden, uh, he just uh, shrunk in size to me, and start. Uh, he started crying, and he. And it just it just got to me. I, I can't because this isn't the first time somebody, you know, came to me and said, you know, I need help. It's some small business owner, but this guy hit a nerve, an emotional button. And so I started doing research, and I think the f- the first thing I stumbled on was the Millionaire Next Door. I started reading Dr. Mm-hmm. Thomas Stanley, who unfortunately just passed away a few weeks ago. I started reading his his research and his books, uh, but it didn't. It told. It didn't really tell me why you fail. It only told mm-hmm. me. It, his books only 
only really uh, focused on what high-earning individuals do with their money and, and the difference between high-earning, high-net-worth individuals and, and high-earning individuals. Uh, so I, did, I wanted to find out what it was that – I wanted the other side of the coin. What are you doing wrong? I just don't want to know what successful people are doing right. I also want to know what unsuccessful people are doing wrong. And so I, it started out with a few questions that I was asking uh, individuals randomly, and then it, I, I, it became a more a formalized approach after about six months. It evolved into what became really 80 questions, uh, and I asked 233 self-made millionaires these 80 questions, and I asked uh, 128 poor individuals the same questions. And then I gathered that information, I compiled it onto different Excel worksheets and then started analyzing it for a year. And I had no idea where this was going, to be honest with you. I was just in search of the truth. Uh, as, as an accountant and as a financial advisor, I just wanted to know the truth. And, the, and here's where, where the, the, the subconscious or the unconscious part of this comes into play. You see, I was... I, until the age of nine, my family was very wealthy, and then my, my mm-hmm. parents, my, my dad lost his business overnight in a fire, and then we were poor. So most of my life, most of my childhood uh, was like a tale of two cities, you know. I, I was rich, and I was poor, rich man, poor man. I lived both sides of the street, and so I guess the subconscious part of this is I really all along wanted to know why what made wealthy people wealthy and poor people poor and so that's probably what kept me at this for 5 years and, and wow. then when i when i was done i i uh, i did some training i created a rich the rich habits training program and i probably did about i don't know 15 or 20 of those uh, learning sessions uh, and then some some of the people were experiencing some success and they said you know you got to write a book about this i'd never written a book before i didn't even know how to start uh, and uh, this is why this is why you've got to follow your passion in life because you ne- ne- when you follow your passion you find out what strengths you have and what I didn't know was that I was a pretty damn good writer I never knew that <laughs> I never knew mm-hmm. I had it in uh, until I decided to write Rich Habits and uh, and so uh, it turned out to be a bestseller I I was you know I had such so much success in 2013 and 14 I was everywhere. And uh, it's still continuing, you know. So uh, it's it's just a very interesting journey I've been on. <laughs> yes. Well, you know, for that listeners, it does. For mm-hmm. listeners that are out there, they're in that situation where they're poor, but but yeah. they're listening to what you're saying. They want financial success. What right. do you recommend they do right away to get on track? The first thing, this is so important, and I'm working on a book, uh, Change Your Habits, Change Your Life, and I'm getting into this a lot more. Uh, the first steps that you have, to, you have to take is that you've got to uh, become aware of your habits. Until you're aware of your habits, you're never going to be able to change them. So you, what I recommend is that you, for two days you carry a pad around with you and you write down all of your activities, as many as you can, uh, 40%, uh, there was a 2006 Duke study that uh, that um, the results of it were that 40% of all of our activities were habits. So what, what I want people to do is to track for two days all of their activities. You're going to find probably some number close to 40 or 50% are actually repetitive behaviors, their habits. Uh, and then the next thing you want to do is you want to identify them as good habits or bad habits, just put a plus or minus next to each one of the, the behaviors that are habits. Uh, so you have to do this awareness and this tracking. Once that, that's the first step. Then the next step is uh, you start to uh, engage in the process of habit change. And, and I have um, you, and, and the starting point there is to uh, understand what good habits you want to adopt and what bad habits you want to eliminate, and that's where rich habits comes into play because the rich habits are keystone habits. They're important, powerful habits that, uh, once adopted, can transform your your life. By it, The keystone habits are unique in that they overpower ordinary habits. So for an example would be aerobic exercise. If you decided to adopt that rich habit, doing the aerobic exercise every day, eventually you'll lose weight, you'll 
get healthier. You'll, you might want to start eating right, stop eating uh, as much junk food as you're eating, which is a poverty habit. So, na- so now this rich habit is, is altering your behavior by altering what you're eating. You might want to s- cut back on cigarettes. You might want to cut back on alcohol consumption because alcohol puts on a lot of pounds. Uh, so you mm. start, you, you know, you adopt one rich habit, and it affects three or four ordinary habits. Uh, and so I, I think this is the process. You, you just go, you start adopting one. You know, we have morning habits, we have afternoon habits, and we have nighttime habits. So you want to attack, tackle each part of the day uh, for 30 days. So you want to adopt maybe one morning rich habit and eliminate uh, maybe one bad habit in the morning, and you do the same thing the next month with your afternoon habits and then, then the next month with your nighttime habits. Oh. Mm. I'm writing all this down. Excellent. Yes. Excellent. <laughs> so, Tom, Tom who, who are the rich and the poor that you're referring to? Well, um, in my study, uh, uh-huh. I defined the, the wealthy as individuals who had who passed two tests. One was they had 160000 or more in gross income, and the second test was that they had $3.2 million in net worth. Uh, in the poor group, they, though there was a two-part test. They made less than $35,000 a year, and they had less than $5,000 in net worth. Uh, so when you met those two criteria, uh, you, you made it onto my uh, study. Okay. I have a question. I know the answer, but I found out a lot of people do not know. Can you give the definition of what goes into your net worth? Explain sure. what goes into yes. It's it's really it's really your assets minus your mm-hmm. liabilities. It's that simple. Uh and it changes every year. Hopefully it goes up. Uh mm-hmm. but if you're taking on more debt every year and and, and that's just that's the well, that's that's the problem when you're raising kids. It's it's hard to do these things because you've especially I, I know I experienced it. I had three kids that that I put through college. It's really hard to save when you're spending sixty thousand dollars of your income every year. Uh, right. So you know it, it's it's something that you want to get into the habit of doing when you're twenty years old or twenty one years old or twenty two. You want the there's three ways that you become wealthy. One is you live below your means. The second way is you expand your means, and the third way is you do both. Uh, the key is to the parents have to get involved uh, in teaching their kids the importance of living below their means because when, when most people are starting out in life, even even poor people when they're starting out at a new job, uh, yeah, they might make only you know twenty twenty five thousand dollars a year starting out even after college if they were lucky enough to get through college or maybe 30,000 but even the high end people they the best colleges they're probably making around 50 or 60,000 so there's there's a difference in wage but it's not that significant and and that's the time when you're starting out that's the time to get into this habit of living below your means and how you do that is an enforced saving plan right out of the gate save 10 to 20% of your income right away automate it, pull it right out of your pay, goes into a savings account or a Roth IRA or something, and then learn to live off of that remaining 80 or 90%. It becomes a habit, and as your income grows, uh, your savings habit uh, will, will create, through compounding, increased savings. So you'll have your money start working for you. And when your kids mm. are at that point when you, you've got to buy a house or when you've got to send your kids to college, you'll have you know, 10 or 15 years of, of accumulated savings built up that will really come in handy. Huh. Awesome. So I have a question, Tom. Um, who or what do you believe is, is the blame for poverty in America? It's uh, parenting. Parents are to blame for uh, the poverty in America, for the wealth gap. And, and I'm not – I don't mean to beat up on parents, but it starts at the home. You, you can't mm-hmm. – um, you know, you you just can't blame it on society because too many poor people uh, become self-made millionaires. They, they learn certain things along the way. <clears throat> and what I'm trying to do in writing all these books, I just released Rich Kids a couple of months ago. I'm trying to get the word out that parents have to become mentors to their kids. And 
parents are often the only shot we have at having a mentor in our life. In fact, um, only 24% of the wealthy in my study had a mentor. But here's the cool thing. The the 24% that had a mentor, 93% of them said that their entire wealth was due to their to their mentors. So wow. mentoring is is a gigantic advantage in life. If you have a mentor, I'm telling you, if you get a good mentor in life, you're going to be successful. The, the problem is finding those mentors, and that's why I'm, I'm focusing on parents because parents have to be the ones to, that's, that are there first to mentor their kids. If they don't do a, a good mentoring job with their kids, the kids are going to struggle when they become adults. Mm. Mm. Now, you also mention in your book, Rich Habits, that wealthy people create a unique type of good luck and poor people create a unique type of bad luck. Can you elaborate on that? Sure. Uh, There's four types of luck. There's random good luck. There's random bad luck. There's opportunity good luck, and there's detrimental bad luck. Now, random luck, good or bad, is fairly democratic. It affects the rich or poor pretty much the same way statistically, but what sets wealthy people apart from poor people is wealthy people create a unique type of luck that I call opportunity good luck. It's it's a byproduct of doing certain things every single day, uh, having good habits, making the right decisions, making the right choices, um, not uh, basing your decisions on emotions, but on well-thought-out uh, thinking conclusions. And um, these, these good habits these right behaviors, these right choices, they manifest something I call opportunity, uh, good luck. And it's like, think about like um, snowflakes, snowflakes on a mountainside. I I love this metaphor because it's so apt. So you you follow these good habits every day, and they're like snowflakes on a mountainside. They build up, they build up, and they build up. And after a while, uh, you don't notice they're building up. You don't notice the benefits of those uh, those good habits because they're incremental. You don't see it from day to day. But all of a sudden you have this avalanche of success event. It might be a, a promotion. It might be a bonus. It might be a raise. It might be a, um, a competitor offering you a, a job for a higher salary. Any number of th- good things happen when you are doing the right things. Now, poor people have they create something called detrimental bad luck and, and this is they have these bad habits that they fought, that they adopted uh for the most part unknowingly and uh, these bad habits accumulate just like the snowflakes and they have this avalanche of of uh, failure event it could be a heart attack diabetes it could be mm. any number of health disorders could be um a bankruptcy you know you know accumulation of debt that put you know makes you it just creates financial havoc in your life. So it's these things that we do on an incremental day-to-day basis that are almost indiscernible. You don't really see the benefit or the detriment on a daily basis, but they accumulate. Wow. Okay. So, Tom, how do you know if you're on the right track for financial success? Well, the important thing is once – the reason in in my book, Rich Habits, I uh, ask – my readers and my students to uh, follow the rich habits for 30 days is because I'm trying, what I'm trying to do, especially if you're poor is change your mindset. I'm trying to shift from a negative mindset to a positive mindset. That's the most important thing, starting point, because uh, most poor people, you know, they're negative. And I, my, my study, my data on, on it uh, proves that out. So, I'm trying to change their mindset first by following some of these rich habits. Uh, they're going to they're gonna feel better about themselves, first of all. They're going to start to feel a little bit optimistic. And all it takes is 30 days for their mind shift, shift to, to shift, their mindset to shift. And then they're going to gain momentum. They're going to realize, oh, I can do this. I can, I'm going to add another rich habit. I'm going to get rid of another poverty habit. And they start to build momentum. And then it, it's, it's not a quick fix. It, this takes time. It, it's it's a lifetime of commitment. But uh, after a number of years, you're, you're going to start to really see the financial <laughs> benefits of, of this. It just doesn't happen overnight. Hmm. Gotcha. Now, during your five-year study, did you study lucrative careers? You know, were there some that were better than others? 
Yeah, I, I, the one of the salespeople. I was surprised at how many in my study were salespeople. Thirteen percent were were salespeople, uh, and I thought that was a pretty pretty interesting statistic because I, I you know I just thought they would all be doctors and lawyers and exactly. uh, and in fact that yeah that wasn't the case and 51% of them were small business owners they that was the largest that was the largest segment uh the, you know the the small business owners because uh, i when you're working for yourself mm-hmm. uh you, you it's your business and you uh, are the beneficiary of yeah, you're the beneficiary of the windfall. Now, 28 yeah. percent were were professionals, the lawyers, the doctors, the accountants, and whoever. Uh, but by by and large, 51 um, percent were small business owners. Another 18 percent were senior executives in large companies. So you can get rich being an employee, but you're gonna. The only way that's gonna happen is if you get into some of these big companies and 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 you uh, you know you become a decision maker. 91 percent. <laughs> of uh, the individuals, the self-made millionaires, were decision makers. So mm-hmm. they were either decision makers in their company, their 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 big company that they were an employee of, or in their small business or in their professional organization. Hmm. So, so Tom, walk us through the day, the typical day of a wealthy person. What does a typical sure. day look sure. like in practice? <laughs> well, you're gonna get you're gonna probably get up at around five in the morning. I call it the five a.m. club. Uh, so okay. you're gonna probably get up at five a.m. and you're going to spend two or three hours uh, pursuing some uh, your dream, some major goals, uh, improving your life in some way, uh, a- adding value to your life through education or or improving your health. Uh, so you're gonna start your day off doing you know, 10 different things in the morning uh, that move you forward. And then you're going to get in your car or you're going to get on the subway or you're going to get on the bus and you're going to listen to either podcasts or shows like this that that are talking about uh, uh, self-improvement or self-help or you're going to listen to audio books. You're not going to listen to music, your iPod. You're, you're going to try trying to do something beneficial during that commute. And then when you get... This was really interesting. So you get to the office. What does everybody do when they get to the office? They turn on their computer and they check their email. Uh, the self-made millionaires don't do that. That's they have um, structure in their day. They usually at around 11 a.m. they check their email, and usually at around right after lunch they respond to their phone calls, their voicemail. Uh, so they're 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 not on the computer every minute looking at their email to see who's call, who's you know sending them emails that they have to respond to immediately which distracts them from whatever it is that they're doing uh, they have certain things that they're doing in the morning that they want to get done that are on their to-do list and then at 11 a.m. they stop what they're doing and they check their email and then when they're done checking their email uh they they might go to lunch and then they'll from after they come back from lunch, they'll check their voicemail, and then the next three or four hours, they're doing uh, getting some things accomplished. So uh, there's a lot of structure to to their work day. And then when they're you know on their way home, they again they're commuting back home and they're listening to uh, audio books, podcasts, self help, or reading or something like that. Uh, and then um, when two days, two to three days out of the week. They don't go home. They might be going to. Uh, a, they might be on the board of directors of a nonprofit. They might be on the board of directors of another company. Uh, they uh, might be going to school at night. They might be teaching at night. They might be doing speaking engagements at night. They might be doing work at night after they eat. They go downstairs or wherever they, their office is and they do some more work. They might be uh, writing. Uh, the seven percent in my study. Uh, wrote wrote they wrote books they wrote newsletters they wrote for magazines and newspapers they had a side gig where they were doing this writing so they have all of these different activities and and then they get to bed at, at usually around 10 10 o'clock and they get seven eight hours sleep that was very interesting to me because i always thought wealthy successful people were successful because they were somehow able to function on less sleep that wasn't oh, what i found good, yeah. Yeah, most of them slept seven to eight hours uh, every night. And and what I f- found out in, in a book that I'm, I'm working on, Rich Thinking, 
the reason sleep is so important is uh, the, the part of there's a part of sleep called the REM stage, which is about 20 minutes each cycle. There's five cycles of sleep that you go through, and there's uh, so you go through four of these phases every night. So <clears throat> during the REM phase, uh, you're that's when memory uh, that's the memory formation stage. So if you learn something the day before, it's critical that you get a good night's sleep because only then will it uh, will it st- form a memory. Uh, and what how it works is the hippocampus and the prefrontal cortex uh, behind the scenes, offline, are se- are sending messages back and forth to each other about the stuff. It's as if you were reading rereading the stuff that you uh, studied before or you learned or the skill that you learned the day before it it's as if it's replaying it in your mind or offline and this is why sleep is so important this is why wealthy successful people get a lot of sleep because they um they know they intuitively they know they need it to uh, help uh retain and and help uh solidify a skill wow so i need to work on sleep Terrible. Yeah, me too. Terrible. <laughs> Terrible. That, that should be where I start. Okay. So, what what is the typical day then of a poor person? Well, okay, well, so uh, this this was interesting, and this this goes to one of the questions that really kicked off my my study. One of the first questions that that the, where the light bulb went off in my head is I asked the the question. What do you do at the end of your work day? Uh, what do you do with your time? I asked this to both groups. And, of course, when I asked the wealthy people, they had 100 different things that they were doing. When I asked the poor people that question, they said, oh, you know, well, I'm, I'm tired. I, I work hard during the day. I have a tough job, and I come home, and I eat, and I want to relax, so I watch a little bit of TV, and I might read uh, for entertainment. And then I go to bed, and they go to bed, and they do the same thing over the next day. So what I found with with the the poor people in my study is they they did there wasn't a lot that they were doing on an extracurricular basis. They and they had certain bad habits uh, during the day. So so one of the bad habits is they didn't get up early. They got up in enough time to to shower and, and get to work, uh, or or they had to you know. They were doing some household chores in the morning that they they didn't want to do at night, so they weren't doing anything to move them forward, pursuing a goal or a dream or anything like that. Uh, and when they got to work, they were constantly in you know engaged in their email and and responding immediately to phone calls, which is a good thing if you're in the service business. Uh, right. But it it is it is what I found is you know one of the one of the self-made millionaires they put it to me this way they said. Uh, um, because I, I pointed out that well, if you're not responding to your phone calls right away, then and if you're in the service business, don't your clients and customers don't they get upset at you? And he said, well, I, I'm my goal is to satisfy my customers, and my clients, but my that's my secondary goal. My primary goal is to uh, to pursue and and achieve my goals, and so I put my goals first. So that so what poor the poor people do is they're they're responding to their emails, responding to the the phone calls, and they're they're doing this on a regular basis. And then they take a break, and they might be, you know, talking to someone, uh, a colleague, and and a, and I sort of found in my in my research they they gossip a lot. Uh, the mm. see there was a large the the gossiping was terrible. Uh, so seventy seven percent of the poor people gossiped. Uh, every day, and only six percent of the wealthy gossiped. So, so they have some of these bad habits during the day that they're they're engaged in that are, aren't helping them uh, do a better job at work and focus on their job. And and then when when you know they go to lunch, they're where the wealthy people might be doing fifty four percent of them were doing some networking during lunch. Uh, the poor people weren't. And they were eating lunch, usually with colleagues or or at their desk or something like that. And then they would go back to, to work and they would go back to being distracted by answering phone calls and emails. And, and their day would be broken up with that. And they you know they wouldn't be focused like the, the self-made millionaires were. And then they, as soon as the yeah. clock hit five, they were right out the door. 
uh, and they would, uh, you know, they they would listen to their iPod, they would listen to music, or they'd read some book, recreational book that entertained them. So, they, and then when they got home, they ate dinner, they watched TV, uh, they jumped on Facebook or the internet, and you know, kind of wasted uh, their time at night, not doing productive things like the self-made millionaires were doing. Uh, right. You know, the hour is almost spent. And we definitely want ah, our listeners yeah. to be able to know how to get in contact with you and follow you and purchase your books. But I have to sure. ask you, what advice, real briefly, do you have for people who are unemployed? Uh, that's a great question. One of the things that I found in my research was volunteering. Uh, wealthy people volunteered, 77% of them volunteered five hours or more a month. Uh, wow. And and there's a reason why they're doing it. See, most of the people that run these nonprofit organizations, and and it's not just charitable organizations; it's business groups, uh-huh. uh, it's like chambers of commerce, it's uh, or any organization, uh, community organization that's you know has a purpose, a mission. Uh, you if you volunteer for these groups, these people that run these groups are typically successful individuals. And so by volunteering your time, even if you're unemployed, you're going to meet some of these individuals who have an enormous network of contacts of of other, you know, birds of a feather flock together. So these successful people know other successful people. And I know two people in my business organization uh, who got jobs through through the organization they were unemployed so my advice to anyone who's unemployed and struggling to get a job join a nonprofit a, probably a community organization a business organization would be best but not even even a, a charitable group because the people that run those boards and those committees are usually successful if not wealthy individuals and get to know those people let them see uh and get to know you and and it's it's a great way way to show your skill sets uh, on a very uh, relaxed, in a very relaxed environment, there's no pressure. They get you get to showcase your skill sets, and by uh, volunteering, these people will get to know you, and they'll hopefully get to like you, and then um, they're going to open up their database of contacts to you, because they're going to want to help you. That's successful people are, uh, especially in these nonprofit groups, their their mission is to help others, so they're they're going to. They're going to start with you because you're helping them. Wow. Good advice. And how, how can we get your book? Follow yeah. You? yeah, well, richhabits.net, it's a, tr- it's a really great website. I've got so much information on there. I, I pour so much content into that website uh, every day. I have something called the tip of the morning to you. So if you go to richhabits.net, you can get a bunch of free ebooks. You can get some free reports. You can buy my books there you can read my blog and uh you can watch all the i have something going on in the media every week uh there's something new and different happening and i you know there's always different topics that we're talking about so uh you can learn a lot about the rich habits a lot about my new books that I'm coming out with my new research that I'm doing uh it's really a great uh place to to learn uh, about how to be successful in life Okay. And actually, we do have a caller on the line that has a question for you. Uh, sure. We have Nate from Virginia Beach. Hi, Tom. How are you doing? Hi, Nate. How are you? I'm good. I have a quick question. Now, I am a small business owner as well as I'm trying to start a nonprofit. Um, but I'm also in school right now. So what would you suggest for someone that's in school how do you suggest that I um, strategize to plan my day out so that I can be successful? Mm. Well, you know, I I applaud you for going to school because I did I did the same thing. I stumbled into that rich habit early on in life. I, I got my graduate degree when my when my son was ten months old. Uh, it was difficult, especially when you have kids. But uh, it has to become Nate your single-minded focus. Uh, and I know I know you want to start a nonprofit, and that's a that's a noble pursuit. But I'll tell you, when you have too many balls in the air, uh, they have a habit of dropping. So my suggestion to you is to, uh, like a laser beam, focus all of your extracurricular energy on going to school. 
get that done. Then, then when that's done, then move on to uh, starting the nonprofit if you're still passionate about it. And uh, but that that school is so important. Schooling, you got to get up early in the morning and and get your homework done. And and my, you know, one of the one of the things that I did was, I, I know, and it was hard to do because it was a hard habit. Uh, I after I came back from class at night, and it was usually around 10 o'clock, I would spend an hour to an hour and a half doing the homework. And the reason I did that was because the material was fresh in my head, and it was so efficient to do the homework. Even though I was tired, uh, I would have just a little bit of coffee, not not like a quarter of a cup, just to get the juices going. And then I, I would spend an hour to an hour and a half, and it, it just seemed to cut my homework time in half. That's mm-hmm. just a recommendation. Okay. Thank you Thanks so much. Thanks for calling in, Nate. Thanks, Nate. Thank you. All right, well, we're running a little bit out of time, so we would love to take this time to thank you, Tom, for being with us. A lot of great, awesome information to make us all wealthy. I know yeah. I took some notes myself. Yeah. Well, thank yeah. you very much for having me on. I, I really enjoy it. and. Um, it was it was kind of cool having three people. I'm usually used to one person. I, 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 I like That's this. That's how we this do it. <laughs> yeah, I like it. Yeah, I like you. it a lot. Thank you so much, Tom. Thank have you very much. Evening. You too. And now we are going to go to a quick commercial, but we'll be right back with Let's Face It on the Survival Network. We'll be right back. Thank you. Cake Cafe Atlanta, where desserts are created and you taste love. Looking to fill your sweet tooth? Do you have a special event or occasion you're planning? Give Cake Cafe Atlanta a call. Located at 368 Candler Road, Atlanta, Georgia, 30317. Open Monday to Saturday, 10 to 7 p.m. You can get the best in pies, cakes, cobblers, coffee, brownies, specialty popcorn, and more. Visit their website at www.cakecafeatlanta.com or give them a call at 404-284-0106. That's 404-284-0106. Call Cake Cafe Atlanta today. Welcome back to Let's Face It on the Survival Radio Network. Um, what a show. What a show. Got a lot of information. Did you guys yes. take notes? Yes. Uh, of course I did. Okay. I'll wake up at 4 o'clock in the morning anyway. You do? I do. What in the world? <laughs> Why do you do that? I work at the shipyard, so my ship starts. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try that and, and just do something positive, pretty much goal-oriented. Try to work out, try to get a little bit of reading in before work. Because um, I'm usually, I'll admit it, I'm usually like the last, um, at the last minute wake up. And that's just uh-huh. how I've been. I'll be up late at night working, but then I'll sleep pretty much until the last minute. So I'm going to try <laughs> what he said. I'm going to try what he said. Excellent. So next week, next week, um, we have a show that um, is probably going to be really controversial. We have Doc Marquis coming in. He's going to talk about the Illuminati. And oh. New World Order. He is. Um, he was raised a child in the Illuminati, and he actually reached one of the highest ranking positions in the organization. So um, I think in 1975 or 1979, he was exposed to the gospel of, of Jesus Christ, and he converted his life. So he's um, devoted the rest of his life pretty much to exposing the Illuminati for their secrets and how they rank high in the. Um, the political system in the entertainment industry, um, and also what this new world order is about. Um, so next week, the 29th, 8.30, make sure that you're here. Um, he's going to be here, and he said no holes barred. He's going to um, oh. talk about everything, um, dealing with the Illuminati, some of those things that you think may be myth. He's going to tell you the truth about it. So make sure that you tune in next Sunday, 8.30 p.m. Also visit letsfaceitradio.com to listen to some of our great past shows, okay? So we're your hosts. 
I'm Will Strayhorn. I'm Donald Lattimore. And I'm Alicia Brown. Let's face it. In life, you're going to be faced with many challenges. But the most important choice that you will ever, ever, ever make is when you make the choice to be bold, be beautiful. Always make the choice to be you. Until next time. Thank you for listening to Let's Face It with Will Strayhorn and friends on the Survival Radio Network. Please be sure to visit us on the web often at letsfaceitradio.com for the latest in show information, including upcoming shows, special guests, spotlight interviews, as well as exciting, innovative ways that you can be part of the show. So tune in next week for real people, real topics, real talk. Let's face it. If you create